0: Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, HopeChurchOnline.com. There, you have access to other resources information about who we are and where we're going as a church as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing here. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Good morning. My name is Tom. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope and today we have a very special service that we're going to celebrate together. The past couple of weeks This is your first time today. I'll kind of catch you up. Uh, Of course, Easter was a couple weeks ago, and we shared the gospel, and we saw people give their life to Christ. And man, it was just a great day to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. Amen. But, Amen. Thank you. Yeah, you're in the right seat. Come on up anytime you'd like. Um, And then last week, we celebrated baptism, and you heard what Pastor uh, Travis said about that. Over 100 people uh, made their faith uh, public in the profession of baptism. Um, just thank God for that and this week we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together and just together be unified but also show that to the community and, and Jesus said they'll know you're my disciples if you have love for one another and man just a great three weeks uh, looking forward to the first Samuel series but we want to kind of wind everything up what we've what we've heard and seen about the gospel over the last three weeks and just give God honor and praise and uh, glory for all that. So let me just start out by saying we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians today, chapter 11. We're going to look at a few verses starting in verse 23. But I kind of want to set the stage for you uh, for this passage of Scripture. Um, and I want us to uh, together imagine a scene, if you will. Um, Jesus and his disciples have gathered in the upper room, if you can picture that. Uh, it's been a rough week. it it, it really been an intense week. For him and the disciples. And so now they were sitting together kind of in a peaceful time. And also looking back at also really the good time that they had had together up to that point. But they could tell on Jesus' face there was a look um, that they hadn't really noticed before. Kind of a look of intensity, if you will. Um, A look of determination on the face of Jesus. That something was going on. And he was about to share with them um, some things. Even though they'd been celebrating... Uh, as they entered Jerusalem, and they they saw the palm branches, and they heard "Hosanna," and they they worshiped together, and they were happy together, and the celebration was going on as they entered Jerusalem. But then Jesus says a couple of things to them, and one of them we find in John chapter twelve, and the other we find in Matthew chapter twenty-six. And Jesus, at this very moment, says these things to them. He says, "For a little while longer, the light is among you." Capital L, the light. Walk while you have the light. Yeah, that's what they said. Hmm. Matthew 26, he says, You know that after two days the Passover is coming. And the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. Can you imagine as they hear these words, what must be going through their mind mentally and emotionally as they hear Jesus talk about his own death? Now they're sitting in the upper room and Jesus decides after he says these things to do something that was a little strange. He goes and gets a towel and some water and a bucket or a a bowl and he begins to wash their feet. Right? You remember the story. Then he stands up with the bread and he says these words in chapter 23, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 23. uh, Paul says it. Well, first, he wrote it before anybody else wrote it, what had actually been a tradition that they had heard even before the Gospels were written. Paul actually writes it here, and he tells us exactly what happened. He said, For I received from the Lord, verse 23 in chapter 11, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, here's what happened, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You know, here at Hope, there are two questions that were asked, one of them more frequently than others. But the truth is, is that each question, even though one's asked more frequently than the other, the importance of one over the other is... is, is Just as contrasting, if you will. The first question, and we're going to deal with two questions today, is when do we take the Lord's Supper? When do we do this? Now this question is asked every single time we teach a a membership class. I teach a membership class, so I know. Pastor Tom, when do we do the Lord's Supper? And I always have an answer, and the answer is three to four times per year. Is it on the calendar? It is on the calendar, but sometimes it even sneaks up on us. We don't do it every week, is my point. Even like Good Baptist, we don't even really do it every three or four weeks, excuse me, every quarter, if you will, either. And, and here's why. It's not that important. I didn't say the Lord's Supper wasn't important. I said when we do it isn't as important as something else. And so one of the things we want to touch on today is when we, when we talk about this question When do we do it? The reason is because people argue over it. People will have arguments over how often churches should take the Lord's Supper. Should it be every week? Should it be once a month? Should it be quarterly? Should it be annually? And the Bible speaks to it in these verses, if you will. And In verse 25, he actually says, as often as you drink it. The way that this is written gives us the sense that it's our choice. And here's the truth. Grammatically, it is. It's not right or wrong to do it every week. Are you with me? It's not right or wrong to do it every three or four weeks. It's not right or wrong to do it three or four times per year. That question is a question that is asked so frequently, but the truth is is that it's not, on the level of importance, the most important question. When we do it is not really the point. At Hope, we take the Lord's Supper about three to four times per year. Why this frequency? Because that's what we've chosen. It's not even scientific. We just said this is when we're going to do it. And so today is one of those days that we're going to do it together. Now this, again, I don't mind you quoting me, but don't misquote me. I didn't say the Lord's Supper wasn't important. It's very important. When we do it's not. The second question, though, and there's only two questions today, so you should be happy. The second question is this, why do we do this? Now that question is not asked much, but it's a very important question. And so one of the things that we want to cover here at Hope, Pastor Vance actually preached this message about three years ago, and we want to practically give you some handlebars to hang on to about The the, the seven stations or the seven tables that are around this auditorium and these people who get up and go and and, and eat some bread and, and, and drink some juice, why are they doing that? Here's the deal. We wanted to devote a whole service to talk about just this very thing. Not when we do it, but why we do it. Because Jesus said, Everybody, the world will know that you are my disciples by how you not have a fish on the back of your car, Or Jesus across your t-shirt. Or even a cross tattooed on your arm. Amen, Smitty? You here? They're going to know about how we love each other. And what this does for us is promote unity in a way that nothing else does. As we remember the sacrifice, as we remember the body and the blood of Jesus. We are saying to each other in this world, the gospel is real. The gospel is real today. So I want to show you four things about why we do this or why we observe this practice we call the Lord's Supper. The first reason is the Lord's Supper invites me to remember all that the gospel has accomplished in the past. If you look at verse 24 and 25, you'll see in those verses, Jesus says the same thing actually twice. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. The word remembrance is a word that we get our word memorial from. It means to memorialize something or someone. The word indicates to call back again into memory, a vivid experience from the past. Lots of people, when they have a loved one who passes away, if they don't do a funeral, they'll do a memorial service. And so the question is, why do we do a memorial service? Why would we do that? We want to look back at this person's life, at all the accomplishments that they made, and all the differences that they made in life, and how they loved God. We want to call back to remembrance those things, right? The person is not with us, but we want to remember who that person was and why they did what they did. Alan Redpath said this. He said, it is the one. In in these verses, it's the one, capital O, who's given something for us at Calvary, asking each of us to remember his death. To put that at the very center of our Christian experience. It is He who loved us even unto death. Calling us out from the busyness and often the barrenness of all our pressure and work. That we might wait upon Him in the stillness of our hearts and worship Him. He points us back not to His life, for example, listen to this. But to that which is at the very heart of the Christian gospel. The atonement of the cross. The finished work Of Calvary and the open tomb we do it to remember what Jesus did for us when you take that bread and when you take that cup we are remembering what he did for us the bread he talks about the bread it's the symbol to remind us of the body that Jesus took on we like to say it in 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 in, uh, theological circles we call that the doctrine of incarnation that Jesus, listen to this, skinned himself. In other words, he became a human. When we think about the bread, we think about the body of Jesus. It's a picture of Jesus' body that's broken for us. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So the bread represents Jesus' body broken for us. The cup he talks about is a symbol of the blood that he shed. We like to call this the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. He made him who knew no sin. To be sin on our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness. Of God in him. It's a the the, the the cup is a picture of the blood. That was spilled for us. Dying in our place. The bread. His body. The cup. His blood. May we never get over that. Why do we do it? To remember his body that was broken for us and his blood that was spilled for us. That's why we do it in remembrance of him. Now some people would teach, some even Christian would teach that this practice is literally an opportunity not to remember Jesus' death for us. But listen close, to experience his death for us. This is my body, this is my blood, literally. Like Jesus said, this bread turns into my body, and this, bl- this cup turns into my blood. But there are three reasons that I believe the Scripture teaches that we shouldn't believe in a literal, literal interpretation of the body and the blood of Jesus. If I'm not mistaken, I, we either got what we have over here at Smith's or Vaughn's or... Albertsons, I'm not trying to leave anybody out. I want to give you the three reasons why I think we shouldn't believe that, though. The first reason is the words of Jesus. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, not do this to experience me, because you know what, he could have said that. He didn't say, do this to experience who I am, do this to ingest me. He said, do this in remembrance of me, because there's coming a time when I'm not going to be here. You remember stuff because it's not there anymore, right? Secondly, the reason I don't think we should believe that's literal is the presence of Jesus in this room with his disciples. When Jesus spoke these words, he was with them. He was sitting in the room with them. He was either breaking up his literal body or he was in two places at one time, if it's literal, which de-emphasizes the great doctrine of incarnation in general. Now, Jesus knew what he wanted. Jesus said, I want you to remember me, not to take me on. I'm here right now. Thirdly, it was also the pattern of Jesus' teaching. He often used symbolic. He often used figurative language. He would say, I am the door, right? I am the living water. Was he the actual door? No, he was a man. Was he living water? No, he was a man, but he wasn't water. But understand that those figurative terms or the symbolism that that is embedded in those things has great meaning, but not literally. Make sense? Now, this is important because when we do this today, we want you to know some people believe that there's grace imparted, that even salvation can be imparted just by taking the Lord's Supper. Today, we are taking the Lord's Supper together to remember what He did for us, to be unified in what we do together, but to remember what He's done for us. I have a picture I'm going to show you here on my phone. of my wife. There she is, right there. There she is, right there, too. That's right. (laughs) Out-punted my coverage. Kicked it too deep. All right. I say, this is my wife. See, you're laughing because it's weird. That's like weird. Like, this is, Tom, that's not your wife. It's a picture of your wife. And even worse, it's a phone. But isn't that the point? When Jesus gave us this to do together, He didn't say, I want you to love that. I want you to love me. He didn't say, count on that. He said, count on me. Makes sense? literally this picture is a picture of my wife it's not it's what represents her it's not who she is and so in the same manner the Lord's Supper is exactly that the Lord's Supper invites me to remember all the gospel has accomplished and it's accomplished a lot amen secondly the Lord's Supper allows me to proclaim the power of the gospel in the present so we can look back at what it did in the past it reminds me, it, may, it makes me remember what's happened. But today I get to proclaim the gospel just like it is in the very presence as I take the Lord's Supper with you guys today. This word proclaim is a word that means to declare openly. It means to pu- be public or to declare it aloud. It can even mean to announce. Listen, just like last week when we did the baptism, when if, if you were baptized last week, you said to the world, without saying it to the world, you said to the world, I am a follower of Jesus. What he did on my behalf, I was dead, I was buried, and he brought me back to life with his very life. As we take the Lord's Supper together, we say the gospel in a different way. What Jesus did, atoned for every sin that I had ever committed. I publicly announced to the world, even through this manner, that Jesus himself is alive and what he did was sufficient. Payment for my sin. This word proclaim is used over and over again in, the, in Acts to describe the disciples proclaiming the gospel. It was the way that they said it. We're going to proclaim the gospel. We're going to tell other people about him. And that's what we're going to do today as we take the Lord's Supper together. If I said to you, we're living in a dangerous time as American believers or American churches, would you say amen? More than we know. It's a dangerous time. But not because of what is without but because of what's within. We've become consumed with self-help philosophy here in America, in our churches. We've become consumed with the prosperity and felt-need preaching, right? That's moving away from gospel centricity or centrality. Let us not forget, Hebrews 9 says this, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Do we have to talk about the blood so much, Pastor Tom? That's what got us where we are. That's what gave us the freedom that we needed. He had to be broken and his blood had to be spilled so that he could come back on that third day after he died. This is not a a, a good thing that preachers just say. This is not what pastors give so that they can get people to come and, and listen. This is what truth is. And our world needs the gospel. Thank you, both of you. Amen. <laughs> the truth is, the only hope for Las Vegas is the gospel. Only hope for your neighbor, getting for you to be a good person to them. I hope you're a good person to them. But that won't save them. Death is coming for us all. They need to hear the gospel, they need to see it in our lives. The Lord's Supper reminds us that we have a gospel to preach. Not just I got a gospel to preach. You have a gospel to preach. All of us in this room who are followers of Jesus, being anchored to this truth, to this ordinance that we do as a church together in unity, is a way for us to remind ourselves we've got a gospel to preach Oswald uh, Chambers said this, he said the creative power of the redemption of God works in the souls of men only through the preaching of the gospel. The Lord's Supper is that anchor to keep us from drifting from the life-changing message of the gospel. So the Lord's Supper allows me to proclaim, it allows me to remember, but it allows me to proclaim the gospel in the present. Now, thirdly, the Lord's Supper inspires me to celebrate all that the gospel will accomplish in the future what he says at the end of verse 26 until he comes he's coming back you didn't hear me he's coming back okay and listen that's not a fallacy that's not I hope it happens oh my goodness could it be true Jesus coming back he's coming back and when he comes back, listen, all this will be so understandable. That shouldn't it inspire us to celebrate and to wait and to, and, and, and to sense and to know that God himself is going to show up just like he said he was? You see, this isn't just a memorial to his death. It's a celebration that he's alive. He's alive. But he's coming back. He's coming back. We won't always get to do this practice. Think about it. We're not going to be doing this in heaven. Why would we? You know, when I uh, go on long trips away from my family, especially overseas, you give me about three or four good days in, and I love my phone. I turn everything off because it's a lot of charges if you turn it on. But I put it on airplane mode, and you know what I do? I just scroll through the pictures on my phone. Of my wife and my five kids. And I just look at them. I didn't forget what they looked like, by the way. I just like to see them. I mean, you know, when you see them every day and then you don't see them for a while, there's just something a little odd. I'm looking through them. Then I get up the next day and I pull the phone back out. But when I get home, I don't look at the phone. Do you know what? I'm with them. Huh. I mean, how weird is that? Hey, get out of my face. I'm looking at your pictures. Right? No. And listen, there won't be a reason to do this once we get home. Amen. We won't need the Lord's Supper. We'll be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, listen. For 2,000 years, every generation thought they'd be the generation, and we should. People say, man, look at the signs, it's happening. We don't have to look at the signs. We can if we want, but he said he's coming back, and I'm telling you, that's all we need. It causes us to celebrate all that the gospel will accomplish. It causes us to celebrate. We should remember without a doubt, but we need to celebrate why he did what he did. But lastly, and this is probably the most practical part of the sermon. The Lord's Supper encourages me to examine the impact of the gospel in my life today. You know, one of the reasons that we do what we do here at Hope, we always dedicate an entire service to this practice and never tag it on at the end for this expressed reason. We should know why we do what we do when it comes to the Lord's Supper. We don't want to preach a message at the end and say, Hey, here's the stuff, go ahead and you know, eat the bread. and." Drink. I, we want to explain it to you. And this reason right here is one of the big reasons. In verse 28, Paul says, but a man must examine himself. A person must examine themselves. Every person sitting in this room today should examine themselves today as we take the Lord's Supper. How should we do that? Well, first thing we should do is we should examine our fellowship with God. You see, the Lord's Supper is not for every human it's for those who've given their life to Christ. The Lord's Supper, there is, there is, I said it just a moment ago, there's nothing special that will be imparted to you grace-wise and for sure salvation-wise through the bread and the juice. If you think that there is, then what you don't need is the supper, you need the Savior. That's bold, isn't it? But here's the thing. You can't work your way to Jesus. I've tried. So have you. Aren't you tired? He gave it to us so easily and so gracious. If we think we have a part in it, we've missed the essence of the gospel. He said, you need to examine yourself. Are you in the faith, Pastor Magdy? Right? We need to examine ourselves. Are we in the faith? Do we know Christ? So examine yourself. Are you in the faith? The second thing that we need to do is, well, let me back up for just a second and, and kind of show you what that could look like. What is in your life? Are there broken relationships that are kind of in the wake of you? Is there unconfessed sin? Is there open rebellion? Are there improper, impure, wrong relationships with other people? Listen, those all have to do with your relationship with the Lord. Where are you in that relationship? Or do you have a relationship at all? Because today, you could give your life to Christ. I know, because I did. I didn't think I needed it, but it turns out, He was right and I was wrong. We should examine our relationship with him. But the second thing we should do is examine our fellowship with other people. Now this is important. Because remember what I said. Jesus said, they're going to know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. If you love each other. By how you love each other examine your fellowship with other people. Now, I didn't read this just, just a minute ago because it was farther back up in the chapter. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, Paul talks about this. Listen, when I look at the Corinthian church that he's writing to, I, I, I see hope for the American church. It was really messed up. The church was so far into sin, into their own sanctuaries. Listen, they were coming to eat the Lord's Supper like it was dinner. They were inviting some and not inviting other people. Some were engorging themselves. The poor couldn't get to it because those who were sitting at the front were the the, the proper ones, if you will. And Paul said, what are you guys doing? God gave us this so we can remember him. And you've turned it into something that God never meant for it to be. So in verse 17, he writes this. He said but in giving you this instruction I don't praise you listen to what he says because you come together not for the better but for the worse for in the first place when you come together as a church I hear that divisions exist among you and in part I believe it He was kind of getting on to him wasn't he He said listen I'm about to tell you about the Lord's supper and about how important it is for you to have the Lord's supper together for unity And the only thing I see is divisions. This word divisions comes from a word we get our word schism from. It has to do with a tear, being broken or torn apart, especially relationally with each other. I'm not going to go on and read it or even preach on it here, but I want to just tell you that those who took the Lord's Supper and said that they were right with other people, they weren't at the next service, some of them, because they were either sick or dead That's why I said it's so important for you to understand your relationship with other believers is a must. So we don't want to tag it on at the end and say, go ahead and take the Lord's Supper. No, we want to tell you, examine your heart. Examine who you are. Examine the relationships so that you can be right with each other so that you're worthy to take this. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is, this is a hard one. Is there anything between me and somebody else? Is there anything between me and somebody, especially in this room, that I haven't gotten right with? Clyde Cranford wrote in his book, Because We Love Him, he said, In Christ, the things, excuse me, the thing that we least deserve is that which we have been most freely given forgiveness. Did you hear that? that we least deserve. So we've been freely given, forgiveness. How then do we dare not forgive those who've wronged us? The person who sinned against us is no worse a sinner than we. Therefore, we must forgive. This is not to deny or even minimize the hurt caused by another's sin, nor is it to excuse sin. The sin was wrong. Being wrong causes bewilderment and sorrow, especially when the one Who hurt us is someone we love. Our natural instinct is to question their love for us. But the ultimate question for the Christian is this. Do I truly love them with a self-forgetful, God kind of love? Our love must be magnanimous, big-hearted, lion-hearted. That the love of Jesus Christ, like the love of Jesus Christ. We must rise deliberately above resentment, bitterness, and pettiness. This is the kind of love that led Jesus to the cross. And if we love with this kind of love, remembering all that we have been forgiven, we will forgive others. Tom, you don't know what they did. You're exactly right. Tom, they haven't asked forgiveness. We forgive anyway. Amen? When he talks here, when he he brings this before them, they had a, a real issue. And they may have asked the question that you may be asking, Tom, why is it a big deal that I examine my heart before taking the Lord's Supper? Look at verse 27. He says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. You notice what it doesn't say? It doesn't say this. Whoever eats and drinks who is unworthy. Because here's the deal. We are all Unworthy. It's not an adjective. For you English scholars, it's an adverb. You say, what's the big deal in that? If it were an adjective, it's who you are. If it's an adverb, it means how you do it. Do You like that pause? Not who you are, because none of us are worthy. But how we take it unworthily, that we're not right with God, that we aren't right with other people. John MacArthur said this, he said, To come unworthily to communion does not simply dishonor the ceremony. It dishonors the one in whose honor it is being celebrated. Is everything right, as far as you know, between God and you? Is everything right, as far as you know, before we partake of the supper together between you and other people? It's important to know that. The Lord's Supper encourages us to examine the impact of the gospel in our lives today. As our table hosts move to their stations, there's going to be seven stations or seven tables set up around the room. And we're going to do this together we want this to be a time where you don't leave, where you stay with us and, and we, we, we uh, uh, partake together and we celebrate together. But there are really going to be four things going on during this time. When I finish praying, I want you to stand up and you can, you can take part in one or all of these. But we want you to participate with us today if you have a relationship with the Lord. First of all, examination. The first thing we want you to do is to examine your hearts like I just talked about. To see if there's anything you need to lay before God. Unconfessed sin, spiritual burden, perpetual, habitual, besetting sin, lost family members, broken relationships, rebellious children. I could go on and on. Lack of trust in God. So examine your heart today. Secondly, intercession. In other words, we're going to have some pastors who are here. They're moving into place right now. I'll be here at the front as well. If you would like to come and give your life to Christ today, we would love To tell you how you can be saved. But if you just want to come to pray with a pastor today. Maybe there's something on your heart. You want somebody to pray for you. We'll be here and we'll be happy to do that as well. The third thing we're going to do and take part in. And that's going to be the worship time for us. Is going to be the Lord's Supper. We have bread and the cup at every table. So find the one that's closest to you. Okay, Um, That way you won't all be crowded here. There will be seven around. So just find the one that's closest to you. And let's worship together as we take the Lord's Supper together today. And then last, once all those three things are finished, and everybody's finished with all three of those, we're going to praise God together. Scott and the band and the team are going to come up here, and they're going to lead us in a couple songs. They're even going to sing at the beginning. We want you to go back to your seat and worship with us, to praise God with us. So does that make sense? Does everybody understand? It's going to look a little bit like spiritual chaos, but it's going to be good. Okay? Examine yourself. If you need prayer, we'll pray with you. Take the Lord's Supper. Find that station. And then come back and sing as we finish out today. As soon as I finish praying, you move to where you want to be. But examine yourself in that.